Good morning. We're continuing uh, in our study of James, and we are uh, at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. That's where we'll be parked this morning. About six weeks ago, uh, I got laid off from my job. I've, been never, I've never been laid off before, so this was my first experience. We know what's happened to the oil and gas markets, uh, so I was called into a meeting, and I was told that the economic conditions or the market conditions were such that they had to make some organizational changes, and I was not going to be part of those changes. Translation for us mortals, look, we don't think you bring enough value for you to be on our payroll. I mean, so as it always is, when it happens to somebody else, it is a statistic. But when it happens to you, you're devastated. So I turned in my laptop, signed a few papers, and walked out of the building onto the parking lot. And as I was going and sat in my car, I said, well... I guess I have an opportunity to apply all the theology that I've been learning lately. I'm pursuing leads and I'm looking. Um, some days I wake up and feel like I'm on top of the world. I've got emails, phone calls, texts, contacts. Some days I wake up, there's nothing happening. Is, is, is God even doing anything in the background? Forget right in front of me. How do I deal with this period of struggle? What, what, what do I really do? Some in here might be struggling in their marriage. Maybe it might be an unfaithful spouse. It may be an irresponsible husband. It may be an unreasonable wife. What do you do when there is suffering that you feel is really not justified? Some of you are struggling with being single. God hasn't brought the right person across your radar screen or across your path. The wait seems unending. What do you do? I think God has a word for us this morning, and it's found in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, and let me read that in its entirety for you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, just from hearing that, you know, this passage is talking about patience. But what exactly about patience is James talking about? And we get a clue for, of that if we look at the context, what went right before it, 
and then look at some of the details in the text, you'll get a good idea of what God is trying to tell us. I mean, this is not rocket science, is it? If we read and if we can understand, we know exactly what God is telling us. The only question is, do we want to obey and move in obedience? So, here we go. First, we see uh, in verses 1 through 6, uh, James is, has got a warning for the rich. Now, it is not any kind of rich, but it is rich or people who become rich through a specific set of circumstances. Remember, the Bible does not say that money is evil. The Bible does say that the love for money is the root of all evil. So, even if you take the parable of the rich fool that Jesus talked about, he was not condemning the farmer because he had a lot of grain. He was not too concerned that he was building a lot of barns to store all this. But his, prob- his concern or condemnation was the attitude with which this former farmer was accumulating, hoarding, it was all for self-indulgence, with no concept, no thought whatsoever that God is at work doing something, that God may even have a say in the number of years of his life. He was just going about it in his own way, and that was what was condemned. So, in this particular passage, we find, if you look at verses 4 through 6, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, these people were getting rich by being uh, unjust, not paying laborers their right wages. So, injustice Uh, They were accumulating wealth through injustice. They did something else with the wealth. Wealth, verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So it was a self-indulgent kind of orientation or attitude that these rich people have that James is warning against. And then he says in 6, You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So James is warning is for those who have gained these riches through injustice, uh, through destruction of righteous people, and then going about it with this attitude of indulgence to feed themselves. Now he follows that up with this uh, passage on patience. Verses 7 through 12, in the first three times, in, uh, in the first two verses, you find the word patience being used um, being, being used, and obviously that should give us a clue that this is all about patience. He starts saying, be patient, therefore, brothers. So he's speaking to Christians. Now, the rich, the warning of the rich may or may not have been Christians, but they were in the setting when James's letter was being read. But this, uh, this aspect of patience is being communicated to Christians, to brothers, so, uh, he, he says, uh, be patient. And the word translated patient there can literally be translated long-tempered. Long-tempered as against short-tempered. Right? Don't react too quickly. Uh, don't come unglued too quickly. Don't retaliate too quickly. Be tolerant. Accept delay calmly. That's the, that's the range of meaning for patience. Now, this doesn't mean we don't do anything. It doesn't mean we stay passive. It just means that whatever we do, whether we speak or we do something, it is done within this climate of patience, one where we are accepting delay calmly. 
So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. If somebody were to watch us today going through a tough situation, would patience be one of the three top words that would describe us? If it isn't, uh, let's pay attention to what God has to tell us through James. So he says, uh, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So this is not going to be forever. Uh, Jesus is clearly coming. Just as he went up, he's coming. The Bible assures us. And so this is going to be temporary, and, and, and God is in it. And there is also going to be a judgment coming if there is injustice, and that's uh, expressed in verse 9. So the point that James is making is this. If we want to exercise this kind of long-tempered patience, if we want to exercise this long-tempered patience perhaps with an unjust boss or an unfaithful spouse, we have to remember, number one, that Jesus is coming soon, two, that he is going to set things right and all injustices will be leveled, right? Without that constant awareness that God is at work, God is doing something. He sees what's happening. It is very hard to be patient when we face injustice and when we suffer. That's the message that comes through. Now, if you don't believe that God is in control, what are you likely to do? You will get him to start controlling everything. And if you're a control freak, you will want to control everything. And before you know it, you find out you can control nothing and then it's total chaos. Remember this, though. The patience that God is asking us to, to display or to practice, this patience is rooted in the very character of God, isn't it? Look across the pages of Scripture. God has so patiently dealt with us, you and me. If he hadn't been so patient with us, if we, he were to somehow zap us for every evil thought that went through our minds... I am sure none of us will be here at this time. He is incredibly patient with us, and so he is asking us to image him well, represent him well, practice patience that is rooted in the very character of God, and represent him well wherever he places us. And then he goes on to uh, give us an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, uh, when, when, when the hearers, uh, if they were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures at that time, they would listen to this farming metaphor and early and late rains, and their minds could possibly have gone back to Deuteronomy 11. And so in Deuteronomy 11, God is telling them, look, you guys were in Egypt now, watering the land there was irrigation. There was a river. It was like a garden of vegetables. Now, I'm taking you to this promised land. There are hills and valleys there, and, and the water is going to be coming down from heaven. God has to open heavens and bring rain down so that you have the water that you need. The land that you're going, uh, you are going over to possess, verse 11, Deuteronomy 11, is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord, your God, cares for. And then he says this in verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, 
the early rain, remember that, and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. Note what the farmer has to do. He has to sow and he has to be ready to reap. And then he just has to trust God to provide the rain at the right time. But meanwhile, he has an assignment here. What is that? Obey my commandments, love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what the farmer had to do. And that's what God is calling us to do. So what are you doing during this waiting season after you have sowed? If you are single, for example, you might wonder, what should you do? The wait seems unending. I'd encourage you, if you're single, to take full advantage of this stage in life, to pursue a life of devotion to God and be a blessing to people. Look, I don't know whether you've thought of it this way, but a single person can give undistracted attention and focus to kingdom work in a way that a married person can only dream about. Be a blessing to people while you wait. Stay in obedience and move in patience. That's what God is calling us to do. What else does he say? Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So what, what does that mean? How do I establish my heart? Establish meaning to be certain, to be fixed. Uh, keep your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, and your will, and all of that stuff. The heart, the seat of decision making. Keep it focused and keep it centered on the truth of God. Keep it centered on the fact that, look, the Lord is coming. God is in this. He knows what is happening. He knows what's coming. That, that whole truth has to be where our decision-making is centered. We've got to have God in the center of our struggles while we wait patiently, without which it's very hard to exercise patience in the face of suffering. The awareness of God should be front and center of our lives all the time, of course, and particularly if we are challenged to exercise patience. So, when you're in a tough spot, it is a good time to practice some theology, isn't it? So, I got laid off, and uh, I said, well, this is a good time. So, one area that I've been watching for myself is this whole area of anxiety. You know, you lose your job, and you, 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 there, is a, there is a very high chance that you get very anxious about the future. Now, in Luke 12, so you go into God's Word and, and look at it. Jesus talks about anxiety. He says, don't be anxious. And then he gives you some examples, and one is this. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Think about it. The, word, the birds wake up each morning. They don't have a food bank, a food worm bank, or a worm bank. They go about in faith, turn every twig and stone, go about in faith trusting that God has already provided for them. Right? So that is what God has called me to do, which means make every call, talk to every person, go turn every twig and stone, and trust that God has already provided and go find it. Now, I still don't have a job, God is calling me to patience, right? And stay centered, establish my heart, stay centered, be obedient, be patient. 
God is in control. That's the call. So that's what I'm doing, practicing the little theology that I know. But, but, but notice this, though. This patience allows us to be in step with God's pace of life. Right? I, I am not trying to accelerate anything and run at my own frantic pace. I, I, I don't need to slow things down. I need to be calibrated and in step with God's pace. And I can do that if I exercise patience and trust Him to work in every situation. What else? Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What has grumbling got to do with patience? Well, you know, when we become impatient with God, the natural step is to start grumbling against people. And historically, we see that. Uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They started grumbling against Aaron and Moses. Why did they grumble? Uh, because they said, well, God has brought us here. And he has left us here with no food. What is this? They started grumbling and complaining. So here's the question we want to ask ourselves. If we find ourselves grumbling and complaining, is that an indication that we have lost perspective of God's presence and his work in our lives? Is it? I don't know. We have to ask ourselves that question. If grumbling and complaining is a part of our lives, we really have to wonder whether we understand God is in control and He is aware of what is going on. He goes on in verse 10 as an example. So He's not left us without examples. He's giving us plenty to look and understand. As an example of sufferings and suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, they all had to suffer hardships while they, while they stood for God and spoke for God. So if we go back and kind of look at their lives, uh, we get a good understanding of what, what that all, was all about. And then he goes on to the example of Job. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, the book of Job is a long book. It's got uh, long and tedious speeches. There are 42 chapters. What I want to do is kind of make a quick tour through that book and highlighting only this. James is calling us to look at the steadfastness of Job. So let us look at examples of how Job was steadfast when he went through suffering. So that's what I want for us to look at. So in the first three chapters, you find that Job is in distress, right? Now, Job is a wealthy man. The Bible says he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. He was the greatest people in all of the East. That's what the Bible tells us. And then we also find this. God tells us, Job 1.8, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job was a righteous man. He was the greatest man in all the East. And now he's going to face some disaster here. Through a series of disasters, people attacking him, he loses all his wealth. His sheep and camels, oxen, donkeys, Ferraris, they were all gone. And then he loses his children. They're gone. 
Now watch this, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Steadfastness, perseverance, that is an example. He did not charge God with wrong. And then he started losing his health. He had sores from the, head, uh, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And his wife says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Sweetheart, commit suicide. What kind of life is this? So this is where Job is. And then in the next 28 chapters, you got Job's three philosopher friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sophar. They come in to comfort him, and then they, they present their ideas of why Job is suffering and so on. And then Elihu is a younger guy. He also comes in and speaks at some point. But here's what they're saying. Eliphaz says, the innocent prosper. So if you're not prospering, you're really not innocent. To which Job says, in summary, I mean, it's a long speech. Job says, look, teach me. Just explain to me. I will not question this if you can only explain to me. Bildad comes around and says, Job, you should repent of your sins. And Job looks at his life and says, I'm a blameless man. I'm a righteous man. I have done everything I know to do. Is there not an umpire who can judge between us? Tell me where I've gone wrong. Then Zophar says the same thing. He says, Job, for your sin, you deserve something worse. Be thankful it's not so bad. Now, all of this Job is listening to, and he has this response. And I want to read a few scriptures that just gives us a glimpse into the heart of this man who the Bible shows us to be a paragon, an example of steadfastness or perseverance. Here it is, chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Lord, you can kill me. Take my life. I'm going to hope in you. Chapter 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives. The man is suffering. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. Chapter 27. As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, catch this, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and I will not let it go. Now that is the example of steadfastness. That is what God is calling us to do. To remain obedient, recognize His presence, accept His pace, and live a life honoring Him. This is what He's calling us to do. Right? That's what we see the Job doing. And then, of course... After all these discussions for uh, so many chapters, you come into chapter 38, uh, and then God opens his mouth. So far, God was silent. And God doesn't give him any answers, you know. All he does is he asks some questions back to back, 40 or 60 questions, I didn't count them. But here are the questions. He starts with this. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. 
Or who stretched the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, on and on and on, he's asking him a series of questions. Questions that challenge Job into thinking, what is he missing? And catches response in chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. He says this, And Job answered, and the Lord said, answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things do wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Did you hear that? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. There's something I knew, but now through experience, I really know it. I've caught it. God reveals something to Job that he had never known about God before because of what he did, perseverance and patience that he exercised. Now, do you want to know God in a way that you've never experienced him before? The answer may be patience and steadfastness like Job. And then, of course, we see the compassion and mercy of God as well. He doubled his wealth. If you read the end, you'll see there's 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, etc. He gave three, uh, seven sons and three daughters, exactly the number of children he had before. And then the Bible says, And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And after this, Job lived 140 years, etc. And the last verse, And Job died an old man and full of days. He had all his days that God allocated for him, complete and in full, he was able to live it, a life of blessing, because he chose to remain steadfast and patient, even when he didn't understand anything. He was willing to be obedient with his life. So that is what God is calling us to do. If you suffer unjustly and your patience is severely tested, then make sure that you're keeping away from anything that God does not approve. Because that is the obedience piece. Keep away from anything that God does not approve while you're in the state of patience. Because that's what Job did. That's what Job did. He didn't sin. And he was committed to hold on to his integrity all through this ordeal. And then we go on to verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, this swearing is not about cussing and things like that. This swearing is about taking an oath. I swear to God. I promise. I swear by something else. Now, I don't know whether you realize Generally, when we, if we swear, we're trying to speed up the process, right? 
You look at children, they'll say, I promise, I promise, I promise to do something. Why? Because they want a quick response from you for whatever they want. And, and, and this is the way we work. We are very tempted to swear and not be satisfied with our yes and no's when we want to accelerate something. We want to speed up something. We want to get these things under control just the way we like it. And, you know, our lives don't particularly help this either, right? I mean, we don't have time for patience. I mean, with a click on my smartphone, I can get Uber where I stand in a few minutes. I can get Amazon to deliver what I want in less than an hour where I sit. I mean, who has time for patience? I mean, life doesn't give us that kind of training, right? But God is calling us to a completely different life because the way of God is always kind of things in the world turned upside down. You want to live? Die. You want to go up? Go low. I mean, this is the way God works, right? So we're called to a life of patience. And so when you live a patient lifestyle, if I am living a patient lifestyle, you watch me and you say, that is an expression of God being under control of his life. Our lives, if they're patient in general style, then that tells a watching world that we trust God and we're not trying to manipulate situations. And our yes will be a yes and a no will be a no and we don't have to say anything more than that. And, and that is particularly what James is warning here. Uh, in the context of patience, let, let, watch your words. Don't add any extra oaths because you know, you'll fall under condemnation you, because you don't control anything anyway. So, let your yes be a yes and a no be a no. So the, it brings us to the question for the morning, right? How is God asking us, asking you, asking me to respond to his word this morning? Are you in a situation where your patience is really being tested? It may be circumstances. It may be people. I'd say think of the most important patience-testing situation in your life at this time. Bring it to your mind. And think about this. Can you bring what you have heard from God's Word into that setting today? We have heard our call is to respond. And may I encourage you just to do that. Can you follow Jesus in a patient lifestyle? that is not running helter-skelter, but one that participates in what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. When God is at work, it might take time. We're called to stay obedient. Let me close with something that I have learned over the six weeks that I've been out of a job here uh, recently. You know, during this time, I've been looking. I've been talking to people and looking... And I have had all kinds of interesting contacts and possibilities popping up on my, on my radar screen that I wouldn't have thought about, that I would never even have imagined. Not that I have anything in hand, but all these kinds of things keep coming up. And it has given me a renewed appreciation for Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or to use Job's words, 
My ears had heard Isaiah, 88, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. But now my eyes see, just a little more, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And I go, wow. I am a more serious worshiper of God today than I was six weeks ago. Waiting is hard. Pain is real. But God is in control. Father, we thank you for your in control. Uh, regardless of where we are, regardless of what we think, regardless of our circumstances, and in spite of ourselves, you're in control and you establish us. Our prayer is that we might be able to follow in the examples that you presented for us, Lord. Help us to that, and because we cannot do it in and of ourselves, so we look to you as we commit ourselves afresh to you and ask this in Jesus' blessed name.